That's what it sounded like in Morocco late Friday night local time when a 6.8 magnitude earthquake rocked the city of Marrakesh. Canadian engineer Seth Davis of Toronto was just settling in for the night at his Riyadh, it's a typical Moroccan-style guesthouse, located in Marrakesh's old quarter known as the Medina. At 11.11 p.m., Davis and his girlfriend felt their beds in the room start to shake, and the shaking lasted for what they thought was about 20 seconds. They would soon learn they had just survived the most powerful earthquake to hit Morocco in 120 years. By last count, over 2,000 people have been killed. Another 2,400 have been injured. So far, there have been no reports of any Jewish people among the dead, but there has been extensive damage to Marrakesh's Mela area, which is the ancient Jewish district, and to the two remaining synagogues there. The death and destruction hit mainly the remote villages in the high Atlas mountain range south of Marrakesh, although the earth also moved as far north as Casablanca. It, you kind of really didn't know what was going on at first, but the entire room just started shaking. Like, I really don't know how to put it into terms of something that I've experienced before because, yeah, it was just, it happened so fast. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, September the 11th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Well, I'm coming to you this Monday from Montreal, where about 18,000 Moroccan Jews live. That's about 20% of the city's Jewish community. It's by far the largest Moroccan Jewish population in Canada. Already, the community is mobilizing, making sure family and friends in Morocco are safe and tracking down Canadians who were there. Later in the show, we'll check in with two community leaders, Avraham El Arar of the Canadian Sephardi Federation and Yair Slack, the president and CEO of Montreal's Jewish Federation. But first... First, we'll hear from Seth Davis, the Torontonian who lived through the quake, about what it was like and what he saw and did afterwards. That interview coming right up after this message. Beth David Hebrew School is now accepting new students. One of Toronto's most dynamic, egalitarian, conservative congregations is offering personalized Hebrew lessons, hands-on learning, exciting field trips, and small group activities, all with a hot dinner included. This is Jewish exploration that will last your children a lifetime. Classes run weekly on Monday nights from 5 to 7.15 p.m. starting September 18th. To learn more and enroll, visit BethDavid.com or email Adina, that's A-D-I-N-A, at BethDavid.com. Seth Davis is 25. He and his girlfriend were at the tail end of their 10-day tour of Morocco on Friday. They'd gone hiking in the very spot where the quake hit hardest later that night, the High Atlas Mountains south of Marrakesh. Davis is also a civil engineer by training, which means he knows a lot about why buildings fall down. I reached him on Sunday. He was on a train from Marrakesh to Casablanca, from where the couple planned to fly back home to Toronto on Monday. We've been in Marrakesh for the past nine or ten nights, and we're just finishing off our trip in Casablanca, but yeah, was definitely not expecting the earthquake. Were there any warnings or any, did you feel anything before it happened? Uh, no, no. So we had just coming back from uh, a tour where they take you out sort of in, through the Atlas Mountains to like a small part of the Sahara. And we had just been driving for 10, 11 hours at that point. So we were exhausted. 
we had gotten back to our Riyadh and yeah, that's when it bent. So you were already asleep or you were still awake? We had just gotten out for food and come back to sort of settle for the night. And that's when, yeah, everything, it you kind of really didn't know what was going on at first, but the entire room just started shaking. We both sort of rushed to get under sort of like a window area where we knew we might be a bit safer. Um, it lasted for about 20 seconds from what I can remember, but it was just very violent, bed shaking, everything. And yeah, once it once it sort of settled down, we could hear the people above us um, sort of just yelling out if anybody else was here. And we kind of just both, you know, looked at each other, made sure everyone was safe. And uh, yeah, uh, everything just sort of went from there. The building itself was, I mean, thank God, well built. Um, we Everything was shaking, but nothing really, you know, cracks that we could see. Um, so thank goodness for that. Looking outside that the building is beside us, you could see cracks, fallen rubble from, from the sides of the walls, but nothing major close by. Um, and and thank God the, the staff, you know, came running through. They had checked on the other places that they managed and just making sure everyone was okay. It was kind of crazy. Did you scream? What did you guys do when this was happening? We we honestly, we had a pretty muted response. Um, when it was happening, we both just sort of huddled together. It was, I think, afterwards a lot more shocking because every little motion kind of just freaked us out a bit. Um, wait, wait, what do you mean? What do you mean every little motion? So explain. That night and the next day, you know, anytime we were on the bed and one of us was shaking our foot and the bed was moving a bit, we would kind of get a little like freaked out or annoyed with each other, just sort of hoping that it wasn't another aftershock or, you know, something to that effect. Oh, I see. I get you. <laughs> yeah. Just really jumpy. And wh- you stayed that night in, yeah, in, in Marrakech. Yeah, we were to jump back when the Riyadh owners came to sort of check in on everybody. They really, really wanted us to come with them to the main square in case of an aftershock. We had been up for, I think, 20 hours at that point. So we just said, like, we're hopeful that this Riyadh, based on, you know, after the main earthquake, looks okay. So we feel a lot safer just going to bed here right now. Um, so we really didn't know the full scale of what had happened. Um, and so the next day looking at the reports, actually seeing how much devastation there had been, we were, we felt very lucky to have been in the Riyadh we were in and kind of stayed there the night. Right. And so you felt it was safer to stay in the, in the Riyadh than to go out and sleep in the square, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what did you do the next morning and the next day? So this would be Saturday. Given that we sort of took stock of how uh, bad things were actually outside. We decided to just sort of see uh, if we could get water, if uh, there was places to get food. Most of the souks, uh, and by souks, like, that's what they call the the vendors, the people just sort of selling on the sides of the streets. Most of those were closed. Um, most of the restaurants were closed. Really, what had normally been, like, very, very busy and difficult to walk through was nearly empty um so we walked a little bit outside once you got out of the the old city walls things seemed to be relatively normal albeit a little quieter and 
we found uh, a care for, which is, uh, I think it's a European or a French version of just a you know, supermarket to pick up water and everything seemed fairly normal. Most of the damage was local to the old city. Um, we got some food and some water, we headed back and it was, it was just very strange to be walking down these streets, which for the past couple of days have been you know, very busy, filled with people sort of trying to get their attention. And it's just people take a stock of the damage. For people who have been to Morocco, to Marrakesh, the Medina is very, it's a UNESCO site. And were you staying in the Mela, yeah. the old Jewish quarter? Uh, we weren't staying in the Mela. We had visited the Mela a couple of days before and we hadn't, it, it's a, where we were staying sort of in the north part of the Medina. The Mela is in the south part of the Medina. Um, the old city is sort of just this walled section with filled with these really small alleyways um, with these small vendors on either side of pretty much every street. And it's just cobblestone pathways, these two, three-story buildings just lining everywhere. You sent me some quite incredible pictures. Tell me about taking those photos. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very surreal, to be honest. Um, um, Did you see anybody that was it, uh, injured or dead? Um, personally, no, which... If I had gone out that first night to the Medina just to be safe then, um, I had heard that basically people, the after the first earthquake, um, a lot of the people had rushed out just sort of to see what was going on. And there was an aftershock about 20 minutes later where a lot of the people who had been injured but didn't feel safe sort of moving anywhere then suddenly rushed out. And I had heard that that's when panic had set in in the streets. So... Last night, so the night after the earthquake hit, we had sort of walked around to see how, you know, the square um, was doing afterwards. And there were still a lot of people uh, lying on blankets in the in the main Medina, um, just with presumably nowhere else to go. And what is it that you do for a living, Seth? Oh, uh, I'm a uh, engineer in training, uh, civil engineer. So, but you you graduated already, I think, right? Yeah. Um, what are the buildings made of that 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 in North America would not? It would be different materials. Yeah, it's um the the traditional buildings that we hadn't seen too many people living in because a lot of the buildings are sort of more recently constructed. The original buildings are just raw and mud and straw, which would would fall very quickly um, under an earthquake. A lot of the buildings we had seen people actually living in were built with these reinforced concrete columns and these uh, blocks. Um, they're sort of like cinder blocks, but they're a lot thinner, a lot lighter. Um, as I understand from talking to a lot of these people, for the construction is all by hand, so they, they can't like afford to you know build these large structures and they're building it themselves so a lot of the buildings were just very very lightly built to just enough to support you know whatever furniture they have and so it's you know it's really difficult to sort of process that most of those buildings likely collapsed and we're just not seeing too many photos because people haven't gotten access to a lot of the spaces yet i think Definitely south of us in the Aldous Mountains, where the roads are so long and narrow and widening. And these these buildings, we had talked to our guide. A lot of these 
villages had only been electrified six or seven years ago and only gotten roads at the same time. So a lot of this infrastructure is very, very new. And you said you were in the high mountains. Those villages were devastated compared to Marrakesh. I'm sure you were aware of that. You must have seen some of those yeah. before, right? Yeah, that that's honestly probably the most um, depressing part of this whole story. We had hiked with a guide through uh, the valley by uh, there's this mountain, Mount Tikal, which is one of the, I think the second highest uh, mountain in North Africa. And there's a lot of these smaller hikes to Bindura, which we did. Um, and yeah, just seeing all those buildings, being familiar with the way buildings are constructed as a you know, civil engineer in training. It, it's no surprise to me that a lot of these buildings failed, but it's also just very sad because a lot of these buildings were built, you know, sort of half constructed because that's just from what I understand, from what I've talked to, to these people about, it's because they don't have mortgages, they can't get loans, so they just build when they have money. So most of these places fell down as half the buildings, not because they were poorly built, but because this is what they could afford. How are you going to process this whole thing, do you think? Um, I did. Honestly, I, I don't even know at this point. Um, we, I, I felt as though it really didn't affect me too much, given, you know, we're standing there, you know, able to go home to Canada and sort of walk away from this where all those people don't have that ability. And, and at the same time, you know, any time something's shaking and it just kind of freaks you out. So it's that weird sort of two sides in the point and just, you know, that there are people that are definitely getting hit with us a lot more than you are, but you're still trying to process what happens. Okay. Uh, listen, you know what? Uh, is there anything I didn't ask that you wanted our listeners to understand about what it's been like to be there? Um, anyway, I don't think there's any more I can add to my experience, but I would just, I would encourage anyone listening to donate whatever they can and wherever they can just to help. I want to wish you a safe trip back because I know Casablanca felt it too, right? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully... But willing, very for you, there's not too much uh, to see there. And it's pretty just be a, a nice and easy trip home. Okay, well, be safe. Thank you very much. Now, Seth Davis urged people to donate to help the victims in Morocco. And already, the Jewish community in Montreal has set up a webpage where you can do that. Joining me now from Montreal is Avraham el He's president of the Canadian Sephardi Federation. He was born and raised in Casablanca, Morocco, and he still has very close ties with the country's remaining Jewish community, which numbers about 2,000 people. el says his community's earthquake response will be for all Moroccan victims, regardless of their religion. Tell me about what you know personally, if you have personal ties to anything or you have relatives or friends, have you been checking in that you know people who are there and how they are? So we've checked with all our people. Family I don't have in Morocco, but I have more than family. I have people with whom I've been working on this dialogue of Muslims and Jews, and they were okay. I checked with my friends in Rabat, in Casablanca, and in Marrakesh. All my friends are okay. There are no Jewish person that we know of that has died as a result of the uh, uh, earthquake. But what about the, though, the Jewish synagogues, the cemetery in yeah. uh, the 
so there is a, there is a synagogue that was renovated not long ago. Slat al-Azama, it's called. And apparently it was it was damaged. But there are no lives lost yet. But then to say that will be actually an, an almost an unethical. There are a lot of lives, lives lost, regardless what faith they are, religion or so on. There are 2,100 Muslims. And that brings me to the discussion I've been having with my people in Montreal. There are a lot of organizations that want to do and help. CGA, CJA, the, uh, of course, the CSUQ, La Fédération Sephardique du, uh, du Québec, the Canadian Sephardi Federation. We are trying to organize ourselves so we'll have maybe a critical path. I am in touch with Zoe Altmani, the ambassador of Morocco here. She's a dear friend of ours. So she has told us she'll be, of course, happy to be with us. The money don't have to go through her. There are already accounts set in the Bank of uh, Bank Al Maghrib. It's a very simple, straightforward. We get receipts and so on. Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking to with Yair and Benjamin from the SSUQ to organize it. I want to make a point, Elaine, it's important. We don't intend to send only to Jewish organizations or to Jewish people. We are sending money to Morocco. As we say in French, toute confession confondue. For every life that is lost, it doesn't matter what faith that person is. That's our philosophy. That's what we're going to be doing. Um, you said that, okay, no Jewish lives that we know of have been lost, but there's a lot of people that have historic ties to Morocco, whether they live in Toronto, Montreal, and also in Israel as well. So, Well, let me tell you something. The kingdom has passed a decree a year ago to reorganize the Jewish community of Morocco. And it's called the Dahir. And it's incredible how serendipitous all this is. The elections are going to be on the 26th of October to elect a new conseil. And it's actually built like the Sanhedrin. It's an amazing document. I know it inside out. For the first time, the, and it's going to actually abrogate the one that is in right now in effect that was written in 1945 when the French were still there. These are an, a, a revolution in the way the community will conduct itself. Morocco anticipates that Jews will start coming more to Morocco. There are barely 2,000 Jews in Morocco. But when I tell people what the kingdom is doing, they think there are 2 million Jews there. Cemeteries are maintained, synagogues. It's incredible what this king has been doing. And the king will nominate 12 Moroccan Jews from the diaspora. And that will be called, it will be called the Conseil du Judaïsme Marocain. It will have the foundation. It's an amazing thing. And I've been in touch with people in Morocco in, the, in light of all this. The Jews of Morocco are more worried about the Muslims of Morocco than we are here. This convivance, this living together there, is actually the fluidity between those two communities. One cannot imagine. So every time I talk to them, they say, Oui, mais vous savez, Monsieur Lara, ça s'est arrivé dans les, les, les montagnes de l'Atlas. On n'est pas là-bas, nous, c'est eux qui sont là-bas. C'est à, à eux qu'il faut qu'on aide. That's what they tell me. I should tell you that I have already people from Montreal, from Toronto contacting me and asking me, how can we help? It looks like that communities, small communities, synagogues are going to be organizing. We will help them. For instance, I just got a call from Orachaim. Orachaim wants to organize something on Tuesday to raise funds. We will guide them. 
it's there's full transparency, but I love it. I love the fact that it's going to be done in a cohesive manner of all the Jewish community. LRR's group is working closely with Montreal's main Jewish federation to coordinate fundraising, both in the short term and to help rebuild the historic Jewish sites in Marrakesh. The CEO of the federation is Yair Slack, and he joins me now. What have you been mobilizing to do so far? So maybe I'll take a step back and, and just recognize that, you know, for the past uh, over six decades, uh, the Montreal Jewish community has been blessed with uh, immigration from Morocco, Jewish immigration from Morocco. Today, um, I would say estimated 20% of our Jewish community is of Moroccan descent and and have brought an incredible culture and riches into the Jewish community of Montreal and are part of the fabric of our Montreal Jewish community. So when the news of a uh, a pretty devastating earthquake, 6.8 on the Richter scale, um, hits outside of Marrakesh, obviously the Montreal Jewish community um, weighs our concern and 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 really this happened during shabbat so waiting for for news to come from from uh marrakesh and, until everything became clear um so here's what we know so far it's not going to be ter- tremendously different from what you would hear on the news uh, what we understand is that the epicenter was outside of marrakesh marrakesh was hit uh, substantially. It's not devastated. It is substantially hit. We have spoken directly to the, um, through through our Israel office, through our, our office in Israel, uh, to the two synagogues that are in Marrakesh. They have both sustained um, uh, damage. Uh, and, and we're looking to see how the Montreal Jewish community mobilized to support them, uh, those synagogues. Um, we do know that the, you know, the, the estimated population, uh, Jewish population in Morocco is between 2,000 and 3,000. There's a couple of hundred that live in Marrakesh. From what we understand, they're safe, which is, was very important. We also know that there were about uh, 400 Israelis that were in Marrakesh at the time, which we also understand are all accounted for and safe. The Joint Distribution Committee, which is our, uh, the Jewish crisis response, you know, when you, you hear about a... Uh, hurricane in, in Haiti or uh, um, uh, world crisis. So the Joint Distribution Committee is on the ground, by the way, been on the ground since 1947, so it's not new. Um, so they're, they're on the ground assessing what's happening in the Jewish community and beyond the Jewish community because the Joint Distribution Committee is non-sectarian. So, so assessing what the needs are. We understand, obviously, there are immediate needs um, that we can't really support from here, like blood and, 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 and stuff like that, for medical support that we can't do from here. Uh, Israel is obviously sending support. The Arab countries around Morocco are sending support. Africa and, and Arab countries are sending support. Um, and, and we're looking kind of long term how we can uh, help the Jewish community re, uh, come back and, and be that, that important, prominent Jewish community uh, in Marrakesh, looking at the non-Jewish community and their needs as well through the Joint Distribution Committee. Um, and I can tell you that uh, during the uh, over Shabbat, um, there were about 60 Montreal Jews who were at the um, Hilula of uh, Rabbi Pinto. Um, and um, that's in Essaouira, but which was not, not uh, exactly in Marrakesh, but uh, towards the, the, the coast. Um, they are all safe and, and either returned to Montreal or traveled on to Israel. So that's, so that's a piece of good news that comes out of it. 
And we should just tell our listeners, in case they're not familiar, that Achilula is like the yort site for Ashkenazis, for Sephardis. And the Rabbi Pinto was uh, the major rabbi of Morocco, and he died in 1845. But it's a pilgrimage that people do, right, every year, right around uh, Elul, right around before Rosh Hashanah. I would venture to say that calling a hilula like a yard site is is really betraying what a hilula is, which is a really it's it's a real movement and gathering uh, of Jews to to not pray but but really feel the the spirit of the rabbi at at his grave in uh, in Esarira. But yes, it's it is certainly uh, an important time of the year as we uh, in the month of Elul. It's a pilgrimage like to go to the Ohel or, I mean, Modi, exactly. Modi would have had a field day with what I just did compared to, right? <laughs> he would have said, you Ashkenazis, right? What do you know? <laughs> and yes. do you have any people um, that um, are coming together this week in Montreal for meetings to have like uh, relief meetings, synagogues, prayer meetings, anything? What do you know? So we've got incredible partnership with the CSUQ, uh, the Communité Safad Unifée du Québec, as well as the uh, uh, Sephardi Federation. Um, we're coordinating uh, with them uh, and their contacts as well. So we have been all day, all, all night last night, all day today in touch, kind of uh, understanding what, what the incoming information is, what the needs are, and how we can uh, be of support. Uh, we have opened up uh, um, uh, a donation line so everyone... You know, one of the blessings of this Montreal Jewish community is that no one asks, they just want to do. Um, and uh, and the generosity of this community goes uh, beyond, uh, you know, anything you can imagine. So as soon as this happened, people ask, where can they give money? And of course, 100% of every dollar that we will um, receive will, of course, address the issue. Okay, we're going to put that link up uh, in the show notes. So for tomorrow, people can already start donating when they download the podcast. Fantastic. As well. That's great. Ironically, I'll tell you just some, something of interest. Um, we have uh, a major donors uh, mission going to Morocco scheduled to leave on October 31st. Um, so we are, I mean, uh, we've been in touch on the side kind of with a, the tour operator that we're working with there. Uh, they believe we can still operate a mission, but our goal is that if this mission does happen to make sure that our group does visit uh, those areas impacted as part of the tikkun olam that we do and see how we can help as, as a mission uh, uh, while we're there. So it's kind of an added element that we're looking to add uh, to the mission in October, which will, I think should make it all that more meaningful for the group that's going. You know, we can't make light of the fact that over 2,000 lives have been lost and, and countless more have been uh, injured and, and severely injured and destroyed. So um, we do, you know, pray for, for the well-being of everybody involved and, and uh, may they, the souls be blessed uh, in this tragedy. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Check back with the CJN website later this week for more updates about the ongoing relief efforts. Zach Kaufman will be here tomorrow with a show about solving the housing crisis, and I'll be back later in the week. I'm Ellen Besner. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. (laughs) 